Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 74. Hello, hello. It is October 27th at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. And every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, we do Ask the Dean. Come rain or shine. Now, this particular week, we've got two team members who are homesick. So, Dr. Scott wah, Wright, wah, wah. thanks for holding up the fort with me. <laughs> now, you are the original dean. We miss Dean yep. Bernie Granham, but you are the namesake of Ask the Dean. So, nice. you're, you're our pillar dean. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how are you Yikes. today, Scott? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We had a big rainstorm last night here in Austin, Texas, and uh, but uh, it's nice and sunny and beautiful out here uh, today. It's supposed to be a high of about 78 degrees. So it's going to be a really beautiful day, and uh, so yeah, I'm doing I'm doing really well. How are you, nice. Rachel? I'm great. So uh, I am your today's host in the absence of Dr. Ryan Gray, Rachel. I'm MAP co-founder uh, with 20 years of experience at MCAT and the pre-med process. And I am experiencing very different weather than Scott is in Texas. It's cold and rainy, but I like that. I'm a fan of autumn. So nice. Me too. Uh, I'm wearing the socks for maybe maybe the first time in calendar year 2021 i don't know um, <laughs> i don't wear socks a lot i'm a bear yeah, girl. I don't either. <laughs> it's, it's chilly enough today it merited it socks i was like going to turn on the heat and i was like okay you know what <laughs> is this really necessary <laughs> maybe i should just put on more clothing <laughs> right <laughs> uh, so here i am awesome awesome a couple awesome. quick announcements before we get started um, so one is we love to do giveaways, not every week because we like to keep you guessing, but most weeks. So um, if there's a question that particularly impresses Scott and I during the show, we'll, we'll pick it as a giveaway winner. And then also for folks watching the replay, we'll do another giveaway. So if you're watching this later, type in a question, type in a comment. And yep. uh, I, I don't always check them forever in the future, but I definitely try to check them for the first few days after a live. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and RM says, hope the doctors who are sick feel better soon. Yeah. Even yeah. doctors get sick, right? It seems unjust. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yep. Uh, okay. So uh, while we're waiting for some more questions to percolate, uh, Scott, what's what's been happening with the students you're advising? How's How's interview prep going this time of year? You know, this is the time of year where we do a lot of interview prep and uh, it, it's going really well. I mean, what we do uh, through Mapped Advising is uh, we do interview prep. Um, you can sign up for uh, an interview prep session or multiple sessions. 
And uh, what we'll do is do a mock interview for about 25 or 30 minutes and make it as real as possible, whether you're going to be experiencing a MMI uh, type interview or a traditional interview. We'll try to craft it to, uh, to match that. And, uh, and, and I think it's gone really well. The students that participate in that have, uh, I think, uh, get a little taste of what it's going to be like. And, and frequently they will say, oh my gosh, I was so nervous. I would, didn't anticipate I would be so nervous in the mock interview. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's one of the values of it is you kind of really see what it's going to be like. And, and, uh, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll ask questions that uh, are probing, uh, some difficult questions, some, you know, you know, some uh, more uh, are less difficult or, you know, more catered to, uh, to your application itself or whatever. And uh, but this time of year, we do a lot of these things and uh, a lot of the interview prep sessions. And it's a very uh, I think it's very helpful uh, for the students and uh and it's fun to do uh, for for uh, on my end of things because I get to get to participate in their in their sort of overall process of going into uh, an interview setting and um, and that's you know one of the things that we try to do is really make sure that the student is is very uh, um, you know is is very prepared or as prepared as they can be and mm-hmm. so i'll i'll give them suggestions about things to do to avoid anxiety or to lessen anxiety and uh so anyway it's it's, it's really uh it's going well and and that's uh something that uh i think is valuable to students who have really uh who have participated in it yeah yeah i know um we got an email from someone uh who I think had worked with Frenia last week, who she was doing um, one of the one-way interviews, you know, pre-recorded. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was an error from the med school admissions committee or an error from like the tech service, but she had been given by the system, by the school, very specific instructions on, you're going to have this prompt, this much time to read it, this much time to respond. And those instructions had very little correlation with her actual mm. one-way interview timing. Oh, wow. But the good news is, like, you're talking about being prepared. One of the ways we define prepared for an interview, and this isn't just mapped. I mean, this is good interview advice across. General, the, yeah. Across, yeah, across not just the pre-health arena, but in general, is don't right. come in with scripts, right? Come in with bullet points. Right. So she was prepared in the sense that she was ready to be nimble and wing it. So she still had a really positive experience, still wrote a really happy email saying, I felt confident. I felt good. I felt as ready as I could be. Now we're still waiting to hear about that A, right? We want to make sure she gets the A. (laughs) Um, But she had a great interview. And and I think that that was so great that the student understood, right? Like the circumstances can change and it's not going to throw me for a loop. Yep. That's awesome. 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 All right, let's take some questions. Let's do it. So A for accept (laughs) says, are teaching and paid employment mandatory for the application? What do you think about this, Dr. Wright? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, You know, I think that there are a lot of students who, you know, just haven't had paid employment experience. And, uh, and, and so they come into the process, you know, having gone through college and, and been lucky enough to not, not have had to work. And so I don't think employment is is, uh, mandatory. Uh, I don't understand maybe the teaching part, but I, I don't, 
you know, uh, you know, we have a lot of students who who do um, a TA. You know, they're a, a teaching assistant for a class, or they do tutoring or something like that. But certainly not mandatory, and not not something that they that the medical schools are necessarily looking for. Uh, if you have that, you know, obviously it's something you would want to put on your application, but no, uh, to a accept, uh, I would say, no, those are not mandatory for the application. Yeah. And like you, I'm not, I'm not sure the source of this question, but one thing to note is, um, the Acomas in Texas have pretty general activities buckets. Like they've got, um, a sort of, you know, prompt that says these categories are large on purpose because, we care less about how you categorize categorize them and more about how you reflect on them. Now, reflection also matters for the double um, for AMCAS, but AMCAS does have a lot of really distinct categories, and one of them is teaching, which is listed for some reason separately from other kinds of employment. Um, so, just in case this is what the question asker is getting at, no, you don't have to have an activity for every category type. Right, that's right. All right. Frank says, I have not heard from my stat school, maybe state school, my state school in terms of interview invite, but I got six other interviews. Congratulations. Congrats. Yeah. My stats are 4.0, MCAT 507, 500 hours of clinical volunteering, 200 hours of shadowing, 3,000 hours of research. Should I be worried? <laughs> well, uh, no. Uh, I don't think you should be worried at this point. I, I think that there's still quite a bit of time left. Uh, your stats are great. Uh, looks like you've uh, got a lot of good experiences, both in terms of clinical and shadowing and, you know, a huge amount of research. So, so, um, so con- number one, congrats on the six interviews that you have uh, received. Um, in terms of the the uh, state school that you're looking for an interview uh, invite, you know, give them time. Uh, What we usually suggest is if you haven't heard anything by Thanksgiving, then that's probably not a good sign. But even after that, things could, you know, happen. Uh, So don't, don't get too worried yet for Frank, Um, just kind of uh, be low key, let things play out the way they're going to play out perform uh, really well in your uh, interviews that you do have and, and be prepared and, and do, do well in those. And, uh, and then you just have to kind of wait and see, but I don't think you should be too worried quite yet. Yep. Agreed. All right. Oh, our good friend, Magnolia Med. Hi, McKenna. Yay. So uh, McKenna asks, what's the best way to spin leadership experience in Greek life on your application to avoid stereotyping by interviewers slash app reviewers? What do you think about this, Scott? Well, you know, I don't like the word spin here. It make it, it kind of sounds a little um, like you're trying to manipulate or game the system somehow. I, I understand the, the thrust of, of the question and uh, don't want to minimize uh, don't want to minimize that. Uh, what I would say is just be upfront. And I don't think that you need to worry about stereotyping uh, by your interviewers or the reviewers of your application. Uh, I think you, you'd be straightforward with, with the experience that you've had in Greek life. Uh, you know, if you're the president of your sorority or you're, you know, the uh, treasurer or what, you know, whatever leadership position you have in your, 
in your sorority or fraternity, uh, just be straightforward with it and, and say, this is the experience I've had and this is what I've done. And, and uh, this is how uh, it has uh, played out and, and uh, what I've learned from it, et cetera. And, uh, and, and, and just, you know, I, I think it's always the best policy just to just be honest and straightforward. And this is what it is. And I don't think you should necessarily worry about stereotyping because I think the, the admissions committee members, the interviewers, the, the app reviewers, they see all kinds of applications every year. And right. I don't think you're going to need to worry about them being necessarily biased against you because you're in, in uh, sort in uh, Greek life. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it, your title probably wasn't um, officer of hazing, right? Right, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> heaven forbid. Yeah, exactly. um, yeah and, and if it and, was, then we got other issues. Yeah, uh, like that, that. That could be the uh, what's it called? Absurdo ad reductum, right? right I give right, such right. a ridiculous example. Yes, <laughs> I've yes. defeated the argument. Um, <laughs> yeah, but. Uh, we want physicians from all walks of life. We want physicians who have lives outside of being pre-med and Greek life is a thing that is popular. I mean, some schools oh, yeah. have almost no Greek life and some schools have like one Very third participation yeah. in Greek oh, yeah. life. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, if that's part of where you got your leadership, then, then yeah, I, I do. I respect where you're coming from, but I agree with Scott. Yeah. Um, just, I would say don't, don't waste precious characters defending just talk mm -hmm. about what you did and that'll yep. explain it. Yep. Agreed. Okay. Uh, I'm going to jump around. RM, I see some of your questions. I'll pick one, <laughs> um, but I'm going to jump around a little bit. Okay. So uh, Kelvin, hi, Kelvin asks, hey, Kelvin. does having an academic integrity violation clearly deny you into med school? How do ad adcoms deal with such situations? Yeah, this is a really good question, and I think it's a big concern for applicants who have had uh, some sort of violation of this type. And no, it does not uh, just, um, you know, uh, a priori, you know, uh, put a black ball on your on your file. I think what you what you want to keep in mind, Kelvin, and, and, and any students that are listening, is that it, it's all in how you talk about it and how you explain what happened and what you learned out of the situation. The, the key here is you have to take ownership of, of, of whatever occurred and don't seem to be, you don't want to come across as trying to explain it away or that it was somebody else's fault or that whatever. Own it, uh, learn from it, explain in your application what you learned from it, how you're a better person now, having experienced that and, 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 and go, go, go about it that way. Um, and uh, some of it will deal with timing. Uh, if it was a academic integrity violation as a freshman, that's going to be much different than if it was an academic academic uh, integrity violation as a senior. So one of the things that is, is fairly not common, but uh, regular in the application process is seeing plagiarism, uh, or, or uh, copying uh, a, a lab report or t working together on a lab report when you should have done it 
um, individually or, you know, th these sorts of things. And uh, what I would say is, um, is timing is a little bit of it and, uh, and how you explain it and, and go into the situation and how you, how much you uh, indicate your, your reflection, your reflection on, on the event. And uh, so all that's going to be involved in how the uh, admissions committees are going to look at it and what they're going to do in terms of evaluating how they want to deal with you. Uh, so, but to answer your question, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's over. I, I think there's a lot that's going to go into that decision-making process. And uh, I think you, you do what you do, what you can do to explain kind of what happened and you take ownership of it and, and then you, you let the chips fall wherever they're going to fall. Oh, I think you're muted. Uh, yeah, I had a sip of water and I forgot. To <laughs> unmute. Uh, so I was saying I 100% agree. And RM, thank you for taking your couple of questions and condensing them down to one. I appreciate it. Oh, that's awesome. So RM asks, I chose to take my prereqs at a community college. I know they mentioned financial reasons was the main, mm -hmm. main reason. Asks, will this automatically eliminate me? No. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. The, the answer there is, is no, it will not. Um, I think the other thing I think you uh, indicated in, you know, one of the previous uh, questions was that the community college you attended in your area have um, sometimes better science classes than the four year uh, schools that they they were uh, involved in. And and, you know, I, I think that that's going to be somewhat unclear to an admissions committee member but to, to answer the, the the main thrust of this question rm is is no it does not automatically eliminate you it's going to depend a little bit on what your previous academic history looked like uh before community college before taking your prereqs at community college it's going to it's going to be uh depend a little bit on your on your mcat score in terms of validating kind of that you did get the fundamental uh, fundamental information and and and, and uh, uh, such from the from the uh, courses that you took at community college. So it's all going to work together. It's all going to be the the package deal, and they're going to look at all of it together. But but uh, I want to satisfy you, and I want to uh, uh, assure you that just because you took uh, your prereqs at a community college, it's not going to automatically eliminate you. It's going to be you know part of the process of, of what they're going to look at. Uh, and how they're going to evaluate you, but they're going to look at the whole at the whole thing. Great. Um, let's see. Here we go. If I started my main three clinical experiences at age sixteen and have continued them all through college. Would I date them in MCAS back to 2015 or 2018, the year I entered college? Yeah, this is a good question. And, and I can't remember on AMCAS, it may not let you date it back to 2015. Uh, I know on the Texas service, it won't allow, it allow you to go back previous to when you entered uh, into the college experience. And so um, this is definitely something that's applicable and you can talk about it. Even if you can only date it back to 2018, you can talk about it in the, 
in the descriptions uh, about how this, you know, went back into your experience in, uh, in, in high school and that you continue to do it. And, you know, you can really go into all that in the, in the description, particularly if it's one of your most meaningful um, in, in, uh, for AMCAST, then, then absolutely, you know, you can really go into it in, in a, in a much, much greater uh, bit of detail, but mm -hmm. uh, I, I can't, I can't remember if it's going to allow you to date it back that far. Yeah. In terms of AMCAS. Yeah. I think they ask for you to do post, um, post, post high, high school, school, but yeah. they don't, I don't think they actually can enforce that with years. I don't think, mm -hmm. well, I mean, maybe in theory they could code it that way, but I don't think they do code it that way. Okay. I think it's, okay. it's still user choice. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we're streaming question. this. Yeah, it is. At, and we're streaming this to a couple different places. I had put on the screen that you had to be on um, YouTube to comment because before the Facebook comments weren't coming through. But good news. Yeah, they, they are. are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm working with an organization to do neuro neurosurgical charity work in a developing country. However, the process is slow. And it looks like it won't happen before I apply. Should I still mention it on my app with what I hope to get out of it? Um, I would say, you know, potentially you could do that in the in the personal statement. But but generally, I would say no. Um, I think that, um, you know, what the admissions committees want to know is what you've done uh, and what you and what that has meant to you to talk about anything future oriented, you know, things happen. I mean, we've all been, we've all seen it play out in front of us over the last two years with COVID. Lots of pre-meds had lots of plans uh, for future activities and COVID hit and boom, all of it went away. So future stuff really doesn't mean anything to admissions committees. So I would say, Probably don't mention it in your application uh, simply because you, you have no guarantees that anything's going to really play out or happen. And, and you're, if you did, you'd be wasting very uh, significant character. You know, you, you, you know, character count is so uh, uh, important in, uh, in the application and, and you're going to waste character count by talking about something that may or may not occur. Right. Agree. 100% agree. Yeah. And then I guess as a small aside, I would just say, I mean, this is this is meaningful work, but keep in mind. Um, and I think actually I know this question asker. I think they know. But just for anyone listening that you don't want to only get clinical outside of the U.S. Right. right because right. Um, while you can potentially do some do some good there. Um, part of getting clinical is getting exposed to the kind of patient care and the kind of health systems in which you will be practicing. Um, so, um, you know, I know that a lot of people are drawn to those abroad trips. I, I personally have some mixed feelings about them. Um, I guess my, you know, and there's, this isn't, this isn't a right or wrong. It's just an opinion, but my opinion is choose groups that are helping to build infrastructure rather than dropping into help. Right. Because it's one thing for a surgeon to drop in and do a surgery. And it's another thing for a surgeon to drop in and teach local surgeons how to do that surgery so that the country can continue to help itself without yeah. the charity. Um, so that that's my advice is look for groups that are doing that. Um, I know Partners in Health, for example, is a really good charity group that that um, 
they do a lot of yeah. work in, in Sierra Leone and other countries. And their whole goal is not to bring charity, but to help you build your own system. Yeah. Um, and I, I would advise if you're going abroad that you look for that. And then, of course, also just be sure you're getting some clinical and some shadowing right here in the USA. In the US, yeah. Yeah. Good. That's a good word. Okay. Come back to this one. Do you add comms prefer gap year students? No. No. <laughs> no, I mean prefer no. <laughs> um, I, I, the, the, there's a lot of gap year students uh, these days. Uh, one gap year, even even multiple gap years, depending on what they're doing. Uh, but uh, to say that do they prefer gap year? No. Uh, I, I, again, everybody has their own story. Everybody has their own journey, and uh, the admissions committees are going to look at what your story is, what your journey is, and uh, evaluate you based on who you are and what you've done. And, and so uh, if you want to take a gap year, then, you know, that's great. And, uh, um, you know, hopefully you've got some good things planned for a gap year, but I don't think that you need to feel, anybody needs to feel like they have to have a gap year or that admissions committees somehow like, you know, gap year students better than other students or whatever. And so, no, I don't think uh, that they prefer gap year students, but they, they certainly see, see gap year students and they're going to evaluate them based on their own journey, just like uh, everybody else. Yep. Um, all right. So Mo says, I have a 3.27 science GPA, but I can't accumulate my calculate my cumulative GPA because I got two D's in college and then repeated them and got A's on both. How do I calculate? Um, I also see, do you think I need post back? But we're going to mm -hmm. break that into two. So the short answer on how you calculate it is yes, you need to include both. Even if your school does grade replacement, uh, the application services want to see every course and they yep. will include grades for both original and repeat. Uh, yep. I'm going to do a quick screen share here and show you guys what that looks like in Mapped. I think, oh, look at this new fancy thing we have. Let me get some banners out of the way to make more space. Look at that, we're at the bottom, hi. <laughs> so I'm so excited about this new screen share view. All right, so, we do have a free level for MAP now. So there's still the membership if you want all the super cool features, but everybody in the world who wants to calculate their med GPA can create a free level MAP account and use the courses and the GPA calculation to get a graph like this. So when you're going into courses, you're literally just going to enter the same course twice. So for example, you know, this A minus in um, molecular biology, what if this is actually the student's second attempt? When I'm entering the course, I can click the repeat option to kind of note it as a second attempt. Mm -hmm. And then I can add back out. And then I can add, what's that, BCH211? Yep. So if I took it, so this first one was 20, maybe I took it back in 2017. And back then is when I got my D, right? And so that one I won't mark as a repeat because it was the original. I don't remember how many credits it was, so sorry if that's a miss. Um, and now what's just going to happen is when I look at my list, 
it's going to have, uh, well, it's because it's sorted by term. Let me sort by class. So it'll have two BCH 11s. Uh, if I were biology, where would I be? Sorry, friends. I should have picked something that was uh, yeah, right. top of the list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did I do that while I get it? Okay, so now you can see. There you go. So this red one here is because the student listed it as fulfilling a prereq. And we're like, oh, because of that D, it's not a prereq, right? So we were yeah. letting them know. But then they retook it three years later. They got the A minus. In MAPS, all you have to do is enter the stuff, and then we're going to do all the calculations for you. So as soon as you added that course, we changed the numbers up here. You can come back to your dashboard and look at the way it looks on a graph. You can click on more detail and see the way it impacts your trends over time. Mm -hmm. um, so there's my class standing GPA. There's my cumulative science. There's my class standing science. All of this is free. So yep. You're, you're back to the question answer. Your your short version there was include them both. And the yep. long version is don't try to do it in a spreadsheet unless you really love spreadsheets. Just let us calculate it for you. It's yeah. free. Free. Yeah, that's right. Free dollars. Zero dollars. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. Let's go back to the questions. Hi, Calvin. Uh, uh, we don't always do repeats, but we got a small crowd today. So you guys yeah. are lucking out. Yeah. Uh, I'm a Ghanaian student and I've gained clinical experiences from there. I do have 850 plus hours of U.S. clinical experience. Can I include the non-U.S. on my application? Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Um, and hey, welcome to the States. And yeah. good on you on getting clinical yeah. in both countries. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that is awesome. Very, very cool. Very cool. But yeah. a absolutely, uh, Kelvin, you can you can include the non-U.S. clinical experience on the application just like you would the, the U.S. clinical experience. And I think that would, you know, be a real plus uh, because you're really seeing a very different, you know, my guess is that you saw, you know, really different experiences in, in Ghana versus uh, here in the U.S. or, or uh, other non-U.S. Uh, experiences mm -hmm. that you had. And being able to compare those, that, that's, that's, you know, really highly valuable yeah i mean getting in any country is always going to be different because we're basically the only country that doesn't have national health care right. <laughs> so there's always going to be that difference right. Right. uh sometimes people think we're way ahead and sometimes we aren't <laughs> yeah. um all right stop the topic <laughs> rach okay uh sorry friends <laughs> All right. RM says, can you submit your application prior to taking the MCAT and completing your courses? Absolutely. Yeah. You can uh, do that. Uh, that's not unusual uh, for a student to, you know, maybe they're taking a May or, or June MCAT or, or whatever, or maybe they took the MCAT and they're waiting for the score. You know, there's a lot of different uh, uh reasons why that may play out that way, but you can submit the application uh, without an MCAT score and without having completed all the prereq courses, for example. And, uh, and then uh, as those get uh, completed and as the MCAT score comes in, then uh, it will be updated. The application will be updated so that the schools know exactly where you are. So um, that's, a, yeah. that's an affirmative, yes. Yeah. Now, sometimes we talk about 
optimal versus mm-hmm. acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's totally normal and fine. I mean, I, I don't know that I would use the word optimal, but it's completely normal to keep taking courses in the year that you're applying. Because yep. um, that's just, I mean, those, those courses are required for matriculation, not for application. Um, submitting your application prior to taking the MCAT is what I would refer to as acceptable, but not optimal, right? And Correct. I think that's language I've learned from you, right? It's, it's yeah, a yellow yeah. light. It's yeah, not yeah, yeah. And the reason is, RM, is that um, what if your score comes back and you had a really bad testing day and it's not what you expected? Um, you know, uh, what if it's something that has nothing to do with your test taking ability, but there's a power outage the day of the exam, right? So, uh, what we see every year is students who think they're going to be an early applicant. And then because they end up needing to retake the MCAT, most schools aren't going to spend a lot of time looking at your application until they have that MCAT score. Mm-hmm. So it could push you from being a June applicant to really being a late July or an August applicant, you know, whenever you get that score back. And then you've spent all that money on primary applications and you maybe now aren't in the best position for applying that year. Um, so, so can you, yeah, should you, I wouldn't plan on it this early unless you have to, it's October. So if you're applying, if you're applying in 2022, I think you need to ask yourself now, is there a way you can juggle your life so that you can take the MCAT in January or March or April or even May? Um, you know, May, you're already probably going to be submitting without your score, but at least it's coming soon. Um, I would say March or April is better. Um, and, and even January, I mean, that's only three months away, but it's still possible. Um, think, think about that. Think about what it's going to do if, if something goes wrong and you have to delay or retake your MCAT. What's that going to do to your application? Um, and, you know, I think some people have unlimited resources and don't mind sinking hundreds of dollars on primaries. Personally, I wouldn't mind. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Good word from our MCAT expert extraordinaire. I had to use that word because Ryan's not here to use that word. I know. I also noticed you and I are using a lot of Latin today. I don't know why. Yeah, right. Right. But a priori, (laughs) (laughs) absurdo ad reductum. (laughs) All right. Frank asks, is it a red flag telling adcoms in the secondaries or interviews that you want to be involved in politics to fight social inequalities? in addition to health disparities at the end of my med career? No, I don't think that's a red flag. I mean, I think that uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people want to have impact beyond just the individual patient population that they're that they're dealing with. And I think, you know, if you're interested, I think, you know, Frank, I think you as as with any applicant, you need to just be honest and straightforward with what your what your desires are and what your interests are, and uh, I, I think that would probably come up in a in a secondary application, mm-hmm. as you indicated in your question, uh, or in or in an interview. Uh, not something that would probably be in the primary application, but uh, definitely something that may come up uh, depending on the questions on the secondary. 
and what school it is, et cetera. But, uh, but I don't think you should avoid that. Uh, it's certainly not a red flag. And, and I think it could be compelling depending on what your motivations are. And if your motivations are these in, in, inequities or uh, health disparities, then that's something that med schools are all over. Yep. So absolutely. Yep. Fairy tale says, do we still need an upward trend if our GPA has been consistently high? Uh, and then goes on to say, yearly GPAs have been 3.8 to 3.9, but my senior year is 3.6, brings my cum down to 3.7. Will that look bad? MCAT 521. <laughs> well, number one, uh, theory tale, um, MCAT of 521 is uh, amazing. So congrats on that. That's great. You're obviously a great student. So I don't think you have anything to worry about in terms of trend lines or whatever. Uh, I, 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 you know, and, and I don't think that even that senior year GPA of a 3.6 is going to be problematic. You know, it looks like you've got a, you know, healthy, healthy metrics here. You've, you're obviously a good student, uh, and uh, have shown that over the course of your entire academic career and in college have a stellar MCAT score. So no, I don't think you need to be I don't think you need to be concerned, and and I think, and I'm not saying this to be to to throw shade or anything, but I'm I, what what I am going to say is, I think you're overthinking this. I think you're you know you're 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 pretty much overthinking uh, the, uh, the the metrics and kind of how they're looked at and stuff like that. You're good to go. You know, I, I would say what you need to be concentrated on now at this point are the are the non-cognitive areas of the application the mm -hmm. the uh, the volunteering the the clinical activities the shadowing the the you know the activities that you've been involved in and really um in the application itself really show that uh, this has been an important part of your uh, life over time and uh, that you know what you're getting into, et cetera, all the things that are important for those clinical and, and volunteer uh, uh, opportunities that you've had. Yeah, hundred percent agree. And yeah, uh, you know, so for a fairy tale and for anyone listening, I understand where this question is coming from. Oh, absolutely. We, we here at MAPT talk about upward trend a lot. And I think sometimes people think like, now that's a thing that has to exist in and of itself. So to be clear, the reason you hear us talk about upper trend a lot is because many of the students we're working with either have lower cumulative GPAs or maybe are career changers, um, which I mean, it might still be a lower GPA, but like maybe they weren't even pre-med when they got their first, you know, they're not so great GPA. Maybe they were, you know, getting C's in accounting classes. So <clears throat> when you want to think about an upper trend, is when you know you've earned so many credits that no matter what you do, your cum isn't moving and you're not thrilled about your cum, right? So um, for someone who maybe has been in and out of school for 15 years and has a 2.9, you know, if you've got 130 credits from post-secondary institutions, that, that cumulative number is just not going to move very yeah. much. Yeah, mathematically, it's not going to change. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so that's when we say, just stop thinking about your cum because you can't do anything about it. And um, the phrase, Scott, that you use a lot that I love is the GPA isn't a number in and of itself. It's proving that you can handle the academic rigor of med school. So if your earlier academic work does not reflect excellence, then what you're trying to do is show several consecutive semesters Yep. of excellence with academic rigor 
now. And that's yep. where the trend matters. Yep. But so for this particular person, you have great stats, fairy tale. So yeah, there's a slight trend down, but your slight trend down still leaves you in the great stats bucket. So yep. people aren't going to be as concerned about your trends because a, a cumulative three sevens still reflects a strong ability to handle academic rigor. Absolutely. Absolutely. And good job. Good for you with yeah. those numbers. And like cool. Scott said, go get all the non-number stuff now. Yep. Yep. <laughs> all Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Oh, avocado. I like avocado. Oh, I love avocados. Oof. Mm. <laughs> Yummy. All right. I need a breather. Want to read this one? Yeah, sure. Senior at a university at the moment with a 3.2 GPA. Should I go into a formal post program or special master's program to raise my GPA for DOMD school? Thanks. And, and MAP member here. Well, thanks for being a MAPT member. That's very cool. And uh, we're, we're, we're hopeful that MAPT is, is proving uh, helpful to you. And uh, uh, so that's, that's fantastic. So to the question here, uh, yeah, I do think uh, that you need a formal program, whether it's a a uh, special master's program or simply a post-bac program of some sort. You know, there are a variety of ones across the country. Uh, in, 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 this, in this situation, uh, I, I do think that that would be warranted. Uh, I think a, a three, three, two GPA, now it depends a little bit on what that trend looks like. If the, you know, if you're, freshman GPA, sophomore GPA were really down in the, in the cellar and, and then it got better as you went along, then that's going to change the calculus a little bit in terms of how medical schools are going to look at that. But generally speaking, I would say yes, that a, a, a formal post program or a special master's program here would be, would be, uh, would be warranted. And, and, and again, uh, just as Rachel just said, what you, what you're what you're concentrating on here is not raising your GPA. That's not going to really move a whole lot. What you're concentrating on here is establishing within the context of the postback program or the special master's program that you can do the work and do it well. So a strong GPA in uh, in whichever you go into uh, would be great. And uh, and but that cum GPA is not going to change a whole lot, and so you're really focusing on establishing a postback GPA that says this is this is the type of work that I can do at a high level. So, absolutely, go, go for it. All right, good question. All right, yeah, that that was a, a great question. Facebook user says, I've heard arguments about the merits of schools still require the MCAT. Med schools seem to say MCAT score correlates with USMLE success. With USMLE step one going past fail, uh, do you think less emphasis will be put on MCAT score? Um, so just to give context for anyone who doesn't um, know, USMLE uh, step one and step two has, have historically both been scored and USMLE starts to go pass fail instead of scored starting next year, I believe. The, yeah, on the step wet. one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just step one. Yeah. Um, so that the, the current cohort of people taking or who just took um, step one are, are the last mm -hmm. ones um, getting the From number. the scored. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what do you think about this, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see how what what med schools do with this. Now, 
USC Middle League correlation is not the only reason that uh, med schools want the MCAT and, and, and use the MCAT. Uh, the MCAT does have some level of uh, reasonable correlation with uh, uh, the academic parts, the, what is traditionally the first two years of medical school. The, you know, we're talking about the really academic um, the discipline-based uh, parts of medical school. Uh, so th there is a you know reasonable correlation for, for those as well. So I don't see the MCAT going away. Um, now, whether or not the, uh, the med schools are going to put less emphasis on it, um, I don't know that that that's yet to be seen. Uh, we'll 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 certainly see. I think it'll be interesting to see how things play out over the next, you know, two to five years, and and uh, kind of see how that how that works. Uh, but uh, my guess is that if I had to guess, uh, I would say the MCAT's not going to go away, and that med schools are still going to require that the majority of med schools are still going to require it and still use it in their process. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, they, that's always the danger with things going past fails. Often the pressure goes elsewhere. So mm -hmm. could put more pressure on MCAT, could just mm -hmm. put more pressure on step two, um, yep. That, yep. which is, um, which is my guess. But again, we're, it'll be interesting, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's right. Uh, we have, we have some insight just from having been around and seen a lot of changes, but sometimes you just got to let it unfold. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, time-pressured exams, standardized exams, unfortunately, will never go away. And yeah. just it's, yeah. there, there always has to be a metric that helps schools align to each other. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying time-pressured tests are, are the best way or the only way. It's just, it's the way that... It is the way it is, yeah. It dominates, yeah. yeah. And, you know, this is, this is uh, in the testing world, this is what's called high-stakes testing. And, and right. I think that... You know, the MCAT is for arguably the MCAT is the highest stakes test that most of you as pre-med students have ever taken. Right. You know, previously, maybe it was the SAT or ACT. Uh, then you got in, in into college and you, you know, you were taking exams and stuff like that, which, you know, uh, are high stakes for that particular course. But the MCAT becomes really a, a huge high stakes exam for most pre-med students uh, and the highest stakes exam that they've ever, ever had, which is why it's produces so much anxiety for so many students. And, uh, and, and you're going to experience that in, in med school, you're going to have USMLE, even step one as a pass fail, there's still going to, it's still high stakes, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and uh, what, what the med schools are going to, you know, really emphasize is don't, um, I think the fear is that because it's going past fail, the students won't prepare as well as much for it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and, and I think that that, you know, hopefully that doesn't prove to be true. And I think med schools are really going to push, uh, students to continue to, to study and to really prepare for it. And as if it was still graded or, or, or scored. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll kind of see how that plays out. But, uh, but I think that uh, high stakes testing is here to stay. And I think the MCAT is a good example of that and it is a good preparation for what you're going to face 
really for a, a, a great deal of your career as a physician, whether it's USMLE or whether it's board board exams, uh, board specialization exams, or, or others, uh, you know, it's 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 they're they're going to be there. Yep. Yep. True. All right. Stephen says, I'm in a mental health startup competition where I research technologies, talk to industry insiders, and develop a business plan. Uh, would I consider this research, internship, or extracurricular? So I guess, Shivam, it sounds like it's not part of school. Like, that sounds like the kind of thing that you might do as part of an MBA. But mm -hmm. you're saying extracurricular, so it mm -hmm. sounds like it's something you're doing outside of academia. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't call it research if it's not like... Mm -hmm. Right. Clinical research, right? If this is qualitative yeah. research versus quantitative, um, uh, unless you're really using parameters that make it research. I I mean, and again, um, if you're looking at an ACOMIS application, they don't have as many buckets, so it's probably going to end up falling into extracurricular there. AMCAS, there's more detailed stuff. Um, might still be extracurricular. Uh, I do think there's something that's like, awards so if you do well in the competition you might mm -hmm. list it there could be listed there yeah but uh, I, I i think definitely you know you could list it as an internship if that's really what it is mm -hmm. uh but i would say extracurricular makes more sense to me yeah uh, and then bottom line is the categories will never matter as much as what you did and how you talk about it so, you know, definitely respect the question and we're here to help. And also one of the meta points is don't sweat it too much. It's subjective. Like pick what you think makes sense because you know way more about it than we do. And then just proceed accordingly. Like as long yeah. as you've got a rationale, it's probably fine. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we're coming to the end. Um, see if any final popcorn kernels want to pop into the yeah. comments. Yeah. Um, we didn't do a giveaway yet. Was there any particular question you want to circle back to? Uh, let me look at. I kind of liked Kelvin's question about the clinical experience in the U.S. versus versus uh, non-U.S. Uh, clinical experience. That was a that was a good question and very um, very applicable because I think we have a lot of students that go abroad, and uh, so I like that question. So uh, this is the joy of a giveaway, not a raffle. It's subjective, and uh, we're just we're just giving away free stuff because we feel like it. Yeah. Um, so Kelvin, you win our subjective contest today. Um, someone else will win next week. Um, Kelvin, if you would like a year of mapped access, the full membership at no cost, email me. Uh, it's info i n f o at mapped m a p p d dot com, and uh, just remind us that. Uh, we we did this today for you on the on the ask the dean and we'll hook you up yeah absolutely congrats, congrats kelvin yeah and awesome. we'll do one more on the replay so as people are watching the replay don't forget to post questions there and i will pop in and answer some of them for you yeah. in the next couple of days sounds awesome sounds awesome all right let's see if any final questions popped in all right looks like people are feeling shy or they're yeah. all typing furiously. Yeah, right. Haven't hit enter yet. But let me let me give a let me give just a little uh, yeah a, a little motivational kind of uh, talk. This is a you know this is a a tough time of year where a lot of waiting happens. 
so those of you that have applied this year and are waiting to hear back, you know, we heard one student who had some interviews, but was waiting for uh, an, an interview invite from his state school. And, and, and a lot, a lot of students, a lot of you guys out there are, are in this waiting mode and it's tough. And uh, what I would say to you is um, wait it out, uh, be encouraged. Positive thinking is very important. Um, and, and, and just don't get discouraged yet. But I do think that uh, what you what you always want to do, uh, wise students at this point in the in the process, if you apply this year, is that you will be planning for the worst case scenario. If you don't get in this year and you have to reapply next year, start working on the weaknesses of your application now. Because if you wait until March next year, then you, you've waited too late. So um, I, I'm not trying to be um, Debbie Downer here and say, oh, you're not going to get in. So you need to be planning for next year. But I do think it's wise. To, to think through that process and think what what's this going to look like if I if I need to reapply next year, then I need to start working on maybe it's preparation for the MCAT again, maybe it's more volunteer experience, uh, more clinical experience, etc. So uh, you know just uh, kind of think those things through, and uh, we're always here through our advising services to answer your questions, uh, to give you. Uh, you know, a straightforward uh, advice and and uh, an evaluation of uh, what uh, what this uh, what what you can do to improve uh, if that becomes necessary. So, but if you're in the waiting game right now, uh, take take heart, uh, be strong, and uh, and uh, let things play out however they're going to play out. Oh, we do have one more, and Rachel's muted again. <laughs> Let's sigh. <laughs> All right, one final question from Ryan, and then we'll end. All right, Ryan says, how important is it to have 15 activities? Oh, I think we handled this earlier today, uh, right? I, I honestly don't remember. Uh, I feel like that's a bit too much. I have 13 right now. No, yeah. you don't have to have 15. No, you don't. You don't. You, you don't need and, and if you try to manipulate it to, to have a total of 15 so that you water down some other stuff or whatever, it's going to be obvious and it's it's not going to look good. And so, so, Ryan, I don't think you have to have 15. If you've only got 13 and they're strong or whatever, then uh, then just do just do the 13. So, yeah. yeah, I don't think that's problematic at all. Yeah, I mean, some people do have more, right? Uh, Acomas in Texas have unlimited. Unlimited, right? so, yeah. So yeah. I wouldn't say 13 or 15 is too many, but what I would say is, uh, like like, like Scott said, stretching it out will be obvious it's too many. Yeah. Right, yeah. so just land where you land. Yep, yep, land where you land. I like that, land where you land. That's good, that's good. <laughs> Trying to be real zen here, guys. <laughs> Going to help you find that inner peace, if not that's through right. yoga, then through the pre-med process. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> that's that's exactly right. That's exactly All right. right. Well, that's going to be it for this week. Um, as a reminder, this is every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So we'll look forward to seeing more questions from you next week. Yeah. Yeah. Take care and uh, good luck to everybody. And, and let us soon. see you next week. Bye.
This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.